when it comes to the topic of sex, when it comes to the topic of sex, I simply want to give up. I want to give up and I want to throw my hands in the air and I want to say, do whatever you want with whomever will agree to do it with you. I do. I do. I am tempted to say that because of where American culture is. I am tempted to say that because of what Americans believe and do. I am tempted to say that because of what churchgoers believe and do. Sex outside the bonds of marriage is like normal. It's so normal that in my news feed today was the shock that America has because one of the Duck Dynasty stores, uh, stars, a 19-year-old who's engaged and going to get married, admitted in an interview, yeah, we're both virgins and we, in- we intend to remain virgins until we're married. And everybody went, what's wrong with you? Are you guys okay? Are you sure you're in love? I mean, you know, I love it. The New York Times did uh, an article about how the purity movement among evangelicals of the 1990s is gone. And it was this brilliant piece about how the culture shifted among evangelical Christians in America. And you should probably never read the comment threads online for anything. But among all of the just comments that really should have never been written was one lady who actually, you know, I, I, she was at least thoughtful and engaged with what she wrote. And I want to share her comment from this comment thread from the New York Times article on this. In two weeks, I'm going to a very good friend's wedding. She is 21 and marrying a guy in his mid-20s whom she met at church and is her first boyfriend. They are both still virgins. As a non-churchgoer and as a non-virgin, I found this situation bizarre, as did my sister, who summed it up well, try it before you buy. Can you really be satisfied with only ever having been with one person? The fact that they love each other is undeniable. But if I were in that situation, I think I would ever be wondering, what if? And that was her comment. I thought, well, that's, you know. And so I, I feel like I want to throw up my hands because of all of that. Um, sex outside of marriage has become so normalized. I mean, for crying out loud, there's stripper poles now in certain hotel rooms that you can get. Um, the idea of hookups, the idea of friends with benefits. Um, it won't be long. Don't even get me started, by the way, about porn and the usage of porn among Americans, right? Okay. Uh, if you d- and, and it won't be long before just two people is so passe. I know right now in America, we only have two boundaries for sex in America. Boundary number one is there has to be mutual consent. So in other words, if one person says yes and the other person says no, that's not good context for sex. The other thing that we say in America about sex, the only other boundary is it should be among mutually consenting adults. But then we all go wink, wink, nod, nod, because we all know that that's, you know, a boundary that nobody ever does. And so... uh, I really think the limit it to two people thing is going to go away. And I point to the fact that in Las Vegas, you can rent out, um, um, you can reserve one of their love suites, and it has a shower built for six. Now, trust me, as much as I think they need to conserve water in the Southwest, I am convinced the shower is not set up that way to conserve water so that everybody can get clean at the same time. Okay, so tempted as I am to throw up my hands... I can't. I can't because as a pastor, I have been a first responder to so many situations that are bad and that, and, and, and that are just miserable and there's pain and heartache because sex took place in the wrong places with the wrong people. 
I have had to sit with teenagers who are scared to death that they are pregnant. And they're wondering, how are they going to finish high school? How is this going to work out? Should they keep the baby? Should they not keep the baby? You know, my goodness, it was just one time. You know, what was I thinking? And they're panicked about it. And there's been more than one. And I've had to babysit people who were... I've, I've been the community service handler for young men who've texted and sexted things to a girl that they shouldn't have. And the parents took that and then went to the judge. And the judge said, well, instead of throwing you to jail, you're in a church, right? This, maybe this pastor will kick some sense into you. And so I've done that several times. I've been... Uh, in situations where I've had a married couple come in and, you know, well, we're not communicating, da-da-da-da. And then as they're talking, I just realize one of them is in a sexual and romantic relationship with somebody else. And sure enough, that's the case. I mean, time and time and time again. And so I've come to a conclusion about Americans. Despite all of the talk that we Americans give about how sexual freedom and sexual liberation is so awesome... When it comes to how Americans go about having sex, with whom they have sex, how often, I mean, all of that stuff. Can I just say, Americans are stupid. They are stupid. And I use that word in the sense that we've been using it over the past several weeks as we talk about wisdom. Remember we said, in 2014 America, people will say, it's smart to save for retirement. What they really mean is, it's wise to save for down the road. When Americans, you know, say, why is she dating him? That's so, what are you, stupid? They're not saying that the, the lady has no intelligence and can add. They're saying she's being unwise to be with that particular man because he's not going to treat her right. Okay, and so that when I say Americans are stupid when it comes to sex, that's what I mean. I mean, it's just unwise, unwise, foolish. And I've been through so many situations. So, Here's my cards out on the table. I don't want to preach about sex. That's what I tried to say last week and got it all wrong. I, I don't want to preach about sex. And I realize that there's some of you in the room today, and you don't want to hear a message about sex. Some of you, because you are absolutely uh, convinced it is disgusting. I mentioned to one of our middle school youth last week, I was preaching on sex the coming week, their response immediately, yuck. Yuck. And then came out of their mouth, Pastor Max, I'm never getting married and I'm never having kids. The whole idea disgusts me. I know their parents would be glad to know that they think that. (laughs) But to to those of you that think that, your thinking may change. I sat where you sit and I thought that at one point and my thinking changed. But I get it and you're here today, so thank you for sitting through this. Some of you are here and you don't want to hear it because you are heartbroken, because you are lonely. You are single, and there is no man, there is no woman, and there's no one on the radar. And it seems like all of your friends are living happiness. And today is just another, you know, stab in the heart of that that you feel because you feel like you've been left out. Some of you are feel ashamed because of things that you've done or things that you're doing. And you're like, great, so now I'm going to go home on a Sunday, and I'm just going to feel rotten about myself. And some of you are here, and you're married, and you've got mixed feelings about it. You're like, well, I've seen good, I've seen bad. Mm, okay, well, let's see how this goes. I, I get it. I get it. And so as much as I don't want to talk about it, I know some of you don't want to hear it, but the church should probably be saying a lot more than it is because so many people are getting burned with this particular thing all across our country and all throughout our city. And you would think, you would think people would, you know, you would think there would be like, 
no, I probably shouldn't, you know, do X, Y, Z, but it, you know, apparently it just doesn't enter the brain or the mind or whatever. And so when it comes to sex, there's one bottom line from Proverbs. So we've been in Proverbs. I'm just going to let one thing from Proverbs kind of percolate out today, and that's from Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 6. And so the bottom line is really simple. If we can put up my bottom line, which is before this particular passage, when it comes to sex, smart people drink the water and flee the fire. You're like, what on earth are you talking about? I guarantee by the end of this morning, you will know what that means. When it comes to sex, smart people drink the water and flee the fire. There's two metaphors for sex in Proverbs chapter 5 and 6. One is the metaphor of water, and the other is the metaphor of fire. And so I want to unpack that for you today, if I can. And so we're going to start off in Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 to start off. All right? This is what the writer of Proverbs says. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment, and your lips will express what you've learned. From, for the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end... She is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Now, I'm not reading that like a parent of teenagers, because, you know, if you have teenagers in the house, you would be reading it much more dramatically. In the end, she's as bitter as poison, I tell you. Run, flee! Okay? But context is everything, okay? So, there, here's six verses from Proverbs chapter 5, and it's... Pay it. Look how many times. Son, hey, pay attention. Listen. Listen carefully. Listen. And he's, he's mapping out. He says, look, you can listen to me, the teacher, or you can listen to her, the adulterous woman. One of us is right about what we're telling you. Listen to me and what I'm telling you. And then this little phrase here, as bitter as poison. In the older translations, it will say as bitter as gall or as bitter as wormwood. And what that was is it referred to a specific juice, bitter juice, that you would get from grinding up the plant, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, uh, artemisia. So artemisia, you grind up this plant, and it's just awful tasting. And the reason you drink it is because you got worms. It's awesome. <laughs> no, it stinks all the way around. It's bad, no matter how you slice it. And so, the metaf- I mean, clearly the message here is, this is bad, no matter how you slice it. This is no bueno. Okay, and where her feet go where? Where do her feet go? Death. In this particular instance, in this particular passage, death is not a good thing. It's not like that scene from Lord of the Rings where Gandalf, you know, with a half smile on his face, tells, tells one of the, you know, hobbits, oh, death is just but a passing. It's the gray shore. It's not so bad, really. You know, no, this death here, this is bad. Um, this is destruction. This is what this five verses is speaking to. Okay? And the, the, the last little bit kind of clues the reader in. She, the adulterous woman, staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. In other words, she doesn't even know where she's going in life, and she has no clue that where she's going is death and destruction. So listen, son. Okay? If, we, if you flip one chapter over... 
we're going to get the first metaphor. And it's chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. So if they'll put that up there. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? Did you know that fire has an alluring quality to it? Have you ever sat around a bonfire and it's just crackling and it's warm? I know on a day like today and you're like, this is so awesome. And so it's just, you know, it's a a fire. There's something about it. We're just drawn to a fire to kind of gaze into it and enjoy the warmth. Fire in the right context, in a fire pit, in a fireplace. I mean, it's it's wondrous, right? But take a couple of six-year-olds and give them a box of matches on your couch that's made of toxic chemicals. (laughs) And when that thing catches fire and starts to smolder, and then somebody opens the door, and it lets in the air, the fire spreads everywhere! Ah, Okay. Two things about fire. Fire spreads and fire burns. And, And the writer of Proverbs is wanting you to get these things about it. And remember... He's talking about sex outside of the proper context. So sex outside of the proper context. It spreads, it burns. Um, How does that happen? Flip back to chapter 5. He maps it out in verses 7 through 14. He says this, So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you'll lose your honor. And you'll lose to merciless people all you've achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you'll groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. These are happy things, aren't they? You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I mean, you just hear the drippiness of the comment. I have come to the brick brink of utter ruin, and now I must face disgrace. Here's here's how this plays out. It's the guy who's trapped. He's addicted to porn. He doesn't mean to, but he starts accessing it at work. And he's pretty sure he's got a workaround from the way they do the whole monitoring thing, but he's not smart enough. He's called into the office, and he's fired that day because it's policy, zero tolerance. And now he's unemployed. Um, it played out in Dallas, Texas. I mentioned this a, a week or so ago. A Dallas millionaire, I think he made his money in real estate. He got into a romantic sexual relationship with someone who was not his wife and someone else's wife. So he was married and she was married. But as is the case in Texas, everything is big and involves guns. And so... And so the husband of the wife he was having an affair with, when they, when they were caught, made a public threat. I'm going to kill you! And, you know, it made an attempt. Uh, and so the guy ended up with fencing his big, beautiful home with not just, you know, eight feet of chain link fence, but barbed wire, guard dogs, cameras. He would say to you, I got burned. He would say that. I got burned. It it, it caught fire, okay? Um, 
all the young men and young women who end up going to Mexico, many of them have a mindset, what happens in Mexico stays in Mexico on spring break, right? Um, Let me ask you, what are the two things that are the most common things associated with spring break in Mexico? Drinking and sex. So this is not a mystery. People don't go, typically don't go to Mexico because they want a spiritual awakening or they, okay? And so, well, so, but it, it, it happens more than one person has gone down there and maybe they've been in a relationship, maybe any number of things, but they come back and they have an STD and they don't know how that happened and it's a life-changing thing. They got burned. Um, I've told this story before. In my own pastoring, I had a couple that did the thing. We're not communicating. She was a UK professor. She was having an affair with a grad student. He found out. Um, I, ha- I had to confront her on the phone about it. I'm not going to tell him. I don't think that's wise. Da, 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 da. She didn't take my advice. They didn't come back. But the very next, next week, he he got confirmation and went after her with a gun. She called the church to say, I'm on my way. Like, like we're going to help her in that situation. He's got a gun. And he's trying to kill you. I mean, I'll hold your hand and pray for you, but I don't think that's going to help. Okay. And so thankfully the secretary called the cops and the cops were able to get him. Thank God for the Lexington police department. They're on it. Okay. And they got him before he got to the church office. But she would say to you, I got burned. I got burned, okay? And so what the writer of Proverbs wants to communicate about sex in all the wrong places with all the wrong people is that it's a fire. Flee the fire is what the writer of Proverbs would say. Flee the fire. And I know it sounds antiquated. I know it sounds backwards, but I think our culture needs a dose of this again because there's way too many people getting burned in the name of freedom, in the name of all these things, even in the name of love, and they're getting burned. And it's, and it's not necessary. So let's keep going in Proverbs, Proverbs 15 and following. And that's where we get the metaphor of water. Drink water from your own well. Share your love with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should you shouldn't uh, you should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Some of you are looking for a verse to put on your car. There's one right there, right? <laughs> people go, man, what kind of people drive that? Let your wife let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated by my son by an immoral woman? or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman. Some of you I know who are younger who maybe have never read the Bible cover to cover, you're like shocked right now in church. You're like, I cannot believe this is in the Bible. Yes, and there's so much more, okay? (laughs) There's so much more. There's so much more. It's not like anything surprises God either. It's not like God's like, whoa, what do I do? You know, it's God knows, okay? Okay? Okay. For the Lord, verse 21, as I was saying, for the Lord clearly sees what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man has held captive by his sins, though the ropes that catch and hold him. He'll die for lack of self-control. He'll be lost because of his great foolishness. 
if we could go back to the first part of those verses. Drink water from your own well. This is, this is the water metaphor. And the writer is saying that sex within the context of the bonds of marriage is a beautiful thing. It's like water that is refreshing and good and pure and awesome to drink. And he's saying, drink the water. In this context, drink the water. Look how many times uh, he says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing. She's a loving deer. Let her breast satisfy. These are, these are positive things that are being said in these verses. And so that's the first part of our bottom line today. Drink the water, flee the fire. And so sex in the context of marriage, in its proper context, is a beautiful thing. Uh, the Colorado River, to use a metaphor of water, I've been to the Grand Canyon. It's steep. The water, the Colorado River at that point is well channeled. It's powerful. It's clear. It's awesome. You get to the Colorado River in parts of California after they've divided off like 50,000 gallons in every direction. It's, it's tepid. It's stagnant. It barely moves. There's nothing attractive about that water. So water in its proper channel, again, is a satisfying thing. Drink the water. So in, in light of this, if I could make some recommendations, if I, and, I, and I want to, okay? So if you're a teenager, if you're a young person, if you've never been married and marriage is something you think you'd like to do at some point in your life, don't do everything married people do. The American culture would say to you, if you want to be married, you should kind of try things out and practice, and maybe you should move in with each other, and maybe you should share joint accounts, and you should do all this stuff, and if you think it's working really well, then go ahead and lock in in marriage. The great irony of that is the, the social scientists that study these things, they've done study after study after study after study, and the weird irony is that cohabitating couples, people who lived together before marriage, the divorce rate is so much higher than couples who don't. And they give a lot of reasons for that, and if you want to know what I think or what they think, you can come talk to me later this week. I'd love to share a cup of coffee. Um, but if you want to prepare for marriage, the best way to prepare for marriage is not to do everything that married people do. It's, it sounds counterintuitive, but that's one thing. Um, if you're married in light of this passage, right, dr there's that drink the water thing. I know this as a pastor. I know this as a married man. When I see a couple and uh, one of them or both of them admit that sexually they've drifted apart, the sexual drift is an indicator that the bigger drift is underway because physical intimacy is tied to so many other things. So men, in, in, your, in your marriage relationship with your wives, you know, we all say Jesus is our king. And if Jesus is your king in the realm of marriage, you don't look to your wife for what your wife does for you or how she might please you in the bedroom or what she does. or You know, she's not your servant. You're her servant. That mindset should even enter into the realm of what happens in the bedroom. And it's a game-changer thing. So uh, one of the things I always love to tell men especially is make sure that you touch her heart and serve her before you touch her body. 
and on the other side of things, ladies, you know, make yourself available in the right context, in the right ways. Don't drift apart. Um, America's busy. Let's acknowledge this, right? So the way things happen, we're so busy, we're so tired. We have a kid, then we have another kid, and then there's kids in the bed, there's dogs in the bed, right? And all this stuff happens, and before you know it, it's been like eight months since you and your spouse were drinking the water. That's a common traveled road. So, you know, watch out for things like, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't never have kids in the bed. I'm just saying be smart and understand that, you know, long time, no bueno, all right? If you're in a relationship right now, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance, um, please don't just move in with them. If you think, you know what, I love this person, just get married. What? It's America, right? If it doesn't work out, what do Americans do? They divorce. That's another sermon I could get into, right? (laughs) But in the marriage, uh, there's so many instances of uh, if you're committed, if, if the relationship is such, just jump in and get married. One of the bigger things that's a problematic in America is that everybody's waiting around for the right person and they're 27, 28, 29 years old. Here's what I can tell you about marriage. Marriage isn't about finding the right person. It's, and, it's not, and it's not, well, what if this marriage works out or what if it doesn't work out? Marriage is you making it work. It really is. Most of the time, it's just you making it work. And there's ebbs and flows and there's good years and bad years. But most Americans could make their marriages work. Um, if you're single and you don't have anybody... And you're saying to, and you've been saying to yourself, "I want to flee the fire," and I've been fleeing the fire. Hang in there, okay? Hang in there. It is worth it, despite what your roommates may tell you, despite what your friends may tell you, despite what your well-meaning aunt who says, "What? You haven't been with anyone? What's wrong with you?" Despite all of those best intentions, it's worth it. It really is. At age 46, I will admit in this context, on my wedding day, I was a virgin. Jenny Vanderpool has been the only woman I've ever been with. Not once in my married life have I ever looked back and thought, I was robbed. Not once have I ever looked back and thought, I wish I had been with other women. Then I might know if this is the best. No, I never wonder that. Never. I don't have those regrets, but I tell you, I've sat down with a lot of people who've had lots of partners, and the story's very different, typically. Okay? Smart people drink the water and flee the fire. Um, there's another story from the Gospels, and it's an encounter that Jesus had with the, the God squad of the day. And I want to read this to you. They're not going to put it on the screen. It's from John. Um, The meeting broke up. Everybody went home. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back at the temple. A crowd gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So, caught in the act of adultery. So, these 
two people were making busy. That's a euphemism. And they were caught, and the only person brought before Jesus, right? There were two people making busy. The one person was the woman brought before, stood right in front of the crown. Hey, Jesus, look, Jesus, we caught her red-handed. Now, the law was very specific about what you do to adulterers. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, stone her. What do you say? They were hoping, by the way, to trap him. They were hoping to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept on demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, Okay, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stopped and he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. If you are here today and you have done things you regret, if you've been unfaithful, if you've played with fire, I want you to see yourself in the place of the woman in this story. And I want you to hear what was said to her by Jesus. Where are your accusers? Didn't one of them condemn you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. I want you to hear the forgiveness and grace offered by Jesus. With the caveat, go and live and walk out that freedom. If you're here today and you've been the victim, someone wronged you. I want you to see yourself in the accusers. Let's be honest. What they did to you was awful and despicable. And yes, you have every right to club them, shoot them, (laughs) have them drugged by horse till dead. But isn't it also true that you've done things you regret? Would you simply be willing to extend grace? That doesn't mean they can get away with murder. It doesn't mean they can treat you any way they want. But would you be willing to extend grace to them because Jesus has extended grace to you? Would you do that? I think Americans, when it comes to sex, are just plain stupid. One of the reasons I know that is that I get to go to a lot of weddings. All throughout culture, marriage is mocked. If you go to movies, you don't see passionate sex scenes between married people. It's always between people who aren't married, right? And, and Hollywood makes a big deal of everything leading up to the wedding day and then forget it. I know that's not true because I attend a lot of weddings. And as much as I hate wedding DJs, Trust me, as much as I hate wedding DJs, (laughs) there's one thing they do that I always find inspiring. At some point, they will do this thing and they will say, I want all the married couples to stand up and come to the dance floor, all the married couples. And everybody's like, "Ah, okay. So they all get on the dance floor. 
And then the, he, the DJ will play some cheesy song, and they're dancing. And then he'll say, for all you married couples who've been married five years or less, five years or less, take a seat. And the crowd thins a little bit. And then he says, for all you married couples that have been married 10 years or less, 10 years or less, take a seat. And it thins a little bit more. And then he gets higher and higher. 25 years or less, 25 years or less, have a seat. If he can get as high as 50 years, and there's a couple or two still on the dance floor, and, they, and you can tell with body language, and they're looking at each other with eyes of love, everyone in the room is smiling. Now, they are not smiling because they're thinking to themselves, what an idiot. How is it that they did this for 50 years? Morons, I tell you, morons. They're not smiling because of that. Do you know why they're smiling? Because there's something beautiful and right and attractive and compelling about it. And there's something in them that says, I want that. I want that. So not only do I know that what God says about this is true, I see it borne out in experience day in and day out. Drink the water, flee the fire. 